fly around. Little green peas from the ground. Buttermilk biscuits, nice and brown. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Butter beans, peas, beets, and chard. Chickens running in the yard. Catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop 'em black gang candy stripes. Look at 'em loading down those vines. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Bring it to Tennessee farm table. Mother loved to discover new things. When she discovered Borden's uh, condensed milk, she thought that was best thing since light bread. <laughs> and she liked to have foundered us on uh, lemon pie that she made with the condensed milk. <laughs> Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce prepare and preserve food in agriculture, often with that Mountain South Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the Southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. Today, we set the table with some good food memories in honor of Mother's Day. We'll visit with Mary Lynn Snyder, who shares with us memories of growing up in R.C. Tway coal mining camp just outside of Harlan, Kentucky. She'll share some stories about her mother, Ruby, and a recipe from Mama Ruby's creamy lemon pie. Also in the program, Fred Sausman shares a lovely audio essay in memory of his late mother-in-law, Elsie Maddox Sturdine. And I'm going to share a story with you about my own late mother growing up in the middle of Mississippi in Kilt Salad. Thank you so much for tuning in today by podcast or radio broadcast. I really appreciate you doing so and for your good company. So thank you. We'll first start in conversation with Mary Lynn Snyder, a Maryville, Tennessee resident. Mary Lynn was born and raised in R.C. Toy coal mining camp outside of Harlan, Kentucky. She's mother to Rebecca Lucas, who has taught in the education department at Maryville College for going on two decades now. Mary Lynn's mother, Ruby, was a wonderful cook and imparted this cooking wisdom to Mary Lynn. We'll start this off with me asking Mary Lynn about her mother and her raising and sharing that recipe from Mama Ruby's creamy lemon pie. So you were talking about your mom and growing up in a coal mining camp, right? Which one? Where was that? It was um, a few miles outside of uh, the town of Harlan. Uh The name of the mining camp was R.C. Tway. R.C. Tway was a uh, 
businessman and entrepreneur from Louisville, Kentucky. He got into the coal business at, back in the when it was booming back in the 1930s and early 40s. And uh, he owned uh, a Tway Coal Company. And he had a, a, a big operation in Harlan County, a smaller one in Knox County. He also had a camp in Knox County called R.C. Tway Coal Company, or Coal Camp, I think it was. Well, anyway, that's where I was born in 1944 and lived there until right before I, I went into third grade. I mean, it was a holler between two mountains. Mm-hmm. They had to pipe in sunshine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't get daylight until 10 o'clock in the day. That's, that's how far back in the mountains it was. Other than the miners and their families that lived there, the only other uh, building was the commissary. And back not long before I was born, they were still paying the miners in script. And the only place that you could spend it, of course, was at the company store. Well, by the time I come along, they, uh, well, thanks to John L. Lewis and, and the Union Wars that was just atrocious, horrible, the miners did get paid in cash. And so they had the opportunity uh, to go places other than the company store. But my family never owned a car, had to walk every place. But mom and dad would walk into Harlan and do their grocery shopping once a month at the uh, AMP. That was the only supermarket. And uh, going to town on bill paying day and grocery day was a big, big deal. I mean, it was a social mm. affair. I bet. So I, I come from very... Uh, simple heritage. Mm-hmm. We're talking again to Mary Lynn Snyder. What was your maiden name and what are your mom and dad's names? Uh, Logan and Ruby Harris. Okay. They were my parents. Were they from Harlan too? or where were they No, from? both parents were uh, originally from Knox County. Oh. Uh, this creamy lemon pie mm-hmm. is one of the pies that she made every holiday. Mother loved to discover new things. When she discovered Borden's uh, condensed milk, she thought that was the best thing since light bread. <laughs> and she liked to have foundered us on the lemon pie that she made with the condensed milk. <laughs> I bet it was good. Oh, it, well, it was. And my youngest daughter, Every time I go to her house for Thanksgiving, uh, she'll say, you gonna make Mamaw Ruby's lemon pie? Of course I do. (laughs) And- uh, How do you, will you talk, will you talk us through that one? Oh, this this one is really, really, really simple. Uh, You need an eight or nine inch baked pastry shell. You can use the graham cracker crust, but we liked, uh, yeah, we liked the graham cracker crust, too, I guess. Mother preferred uh, the regular crust. Okay, three egg yolks, uh, a 14-ounce can of Eagle brand uh, sweetened condensed milk, not evaporated, <laughs> uh, one-half cup of real lemon, lemon juice from concentrate, little bit of yellow food, food coloring, 
Now this recipe calls for two cups of whipped topping or whipped cream. We never did that. We always made meringue. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, you preheat the oven to 325 degrees. In a medium bowl, beat your egg yolks with the milk. Uh, add a little bit of food coloring if desired. And you pour it into the prepared pastry shell. Bake for 30 minutes. Cool. And that's the point that you would put whipped cream on it if you used it. Uh, what we would do is put the meringue on before you put it in to bake for the 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And uh, it it would be just, just perfect when it comes out. Mm -hmm. And refrigerate any any leftovers. I've got a note here that says, Carla, this is Mama Ruby's pie that you wanted, except we always top with meringue. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer meringue. I think it tastes better. Oh, I do too. It looks prettier too. Yeah, kind of brown. Yeah, I can put those little Dairy Queen curly cues on top. Yes, aren't they pretty? You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. We've just been visiting with Mary Lynn Snyder, a Maryville, Tennessee resident. Mary Lynn was born and raised in the R.C. Tway coal mining camp outside Harlan, Kentucky. Her mother, Ruby, was a wonderful cook and imparted that cooking wisdom on Mary Lynn. And Mary Lynn just shared Mama Ruby's creamy lemon pie recipe. I've written this recipe out and placed it, along with a picture of Mary Lynn, in the podcast notes at TennesseeFarmTable.com. Next up is Fred Saussman. Fred does a lot of things, and he's just the nicest fella. He is senior writer and associate professor of Appalachian Studies at East Tennessee State University and also the news director of WETS-FM in Johnson City. Over the years, he has produced numerous documentaries and written numerous books on regional foodways. And today, he shares a lovely audio essay in memory of his late mother-in-law, Elsie Maddox Durting. Elsie Maddox Durting was a dropped dumpling disciple. She believed the flat rolled out kind represented just a stage in the evolutionary development of the dumpling. Her dumplings had to be puffy as they bobbed and poached in a pot of chicken broth. She took pride in her chicken and dumplings with stock made from the whole bird. To her, a child of the Great Depression, a pot of chicken and dumplings meant economy and frugality. It meant warmth and nourishment. It meant feeding a family with what could be fetched a few feet from the back door of her home at the foot of Clinch Mountain. Elsie Durting was my mother-in-law, she died on January 22nd of this year at the age of 98. A move to assisted living just a couple of months before her death meant finally relinquishing her favorite black iron skillet, its surface as slick as a Scott County, Virginia back road after a snowstorm. Heirloom though it is, that skillet has not been retired. It hangs on our pegboard wall, ready for yet another turn of cornbread and a story of Elsie. I remember the very first meal Elsie cooked for me. 
In fact, it was the first time I met her and her husband, Homer. I had been dating their daughter, Jill, for a couple of months, and she asked me to come to Hilton's, Virginia, to meet her parents in November of 1978. I was working as a reporter for WKPT-TV in Kingsport then, and had just ridden the Santa train. The main dish Elsie served that Saturday evening was a stew of sorts, made with chunks of beef, onions, tomatoes, and green peppers. And in this potato-dominated culture, she served it over rice. She had me right then. I'm sure those tomatoes and peppers and maybe the onions as well were grown in the family's garden, just a few steps from their porch. Homer died in 1992, but Elsie continued to work that patch of land well past the age of 90, using some of the seeds he had saved. Even at her advanced age, she tolerated sun and uneven ground just fine. She could grow it all, but green beans brought her the most joy. At every family gathering, held under one of the shelters at Bays Mountain Park near Kingsport, Tennessee, she would show up with freshly cooked green beans, always serving them right out of the stainless steel pot she had cooked them in. There was a time when all the eight brothers and sisters in her family would attend those holiday reunions, but death steadily decimated the close clan over the years, to the point where Elsie was the last sibling standing. Dumplings and green beans weren't her only trademarks. She was, without doubt, one of Southwest Virginia's best peanut butter pinwheel makers. As anyone who has attempted to make them knows, a few missteps and a powdered sugar storm blankets the kitchen. Not so with Elsie. She could roll these geometric masterpieces symmetrically and immaculately, without a trace of mess. Her pinwheels were edible architecture. I've heard stories of her skills with a campfire hobo pack when she was a Girl Scout leader, and how she learned to bake and assemble a dried apple stack cake from her mother-in-law across the road, after drying the apples in the back of the family car. She loved honey from a friend down on the river and churchyard apple butter, no matter the denomination. She was a hand-held potato and onion slicer for whom a cutting board was an unnecessary luxury. I never saw her knife slip. Elsie and I not only shared a love for savory stews served over rice, we shared a passion for buttermilk. She didn't just cook with it either. She drank it, as I do. When they learned about her love of buttermilk, the folks at Cruz Dairy in Knoxville, Tennessee, asked her to be a Facebook poster lady for their product when she was 91. Did drinking buttermilk lead to Elsie's longevity? I'm not sure, but to quote Earl Cruz, who started the dairy, it can help. 
On her very last Thanksgiving in 2021, Elsie and I toasted the holiday with huge glasses of buttermilk. Elsie made it to 98 years and 9 months with no broken bones and a mind still sharp. She didn't just recall the olden days either. She kept up with the contemporary lives of her three daughters, her two grandsons and their wives, and her three great-grandchildren. For her friends and family, she was a reliable and knowledgeable source of Scott County, Virginia news right up until the end. On that last Thanksgiving, after she had discovered what was on our menu, Elsie proclaimed, I was hoping you would have that cream of mushroom soup. I'm thankful that we did, and I'm thankful for the life of Elsie Maddox Dirting. For the Tennessee Farm Table, I'm Fred Sossman. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and we've just heard Fred Sausman's lovely audio essay in memory of his late mother-in-law, Elsie Maddox Dirting. I placed a picture of Elsie drinking a tall glass of Cruz Farm Dairy Buttermilk that Fred provided in the podcast notes at TennesseeFarmTable.com. And up next is a story I wrote about my late mother and her growing up in the middle of Mississippi and kilt salad. Today, I'm going to share a recipe and a story with you that I've entitled Kilt Salad, a Mississippi Memory on a Fork. The name of this comes from the act of pouring hot grease on uncooked greens. Thereby, it's killed, or as we say around East Tennessee, kilt. This simple dinner sometimes is referred to as wilted salad or kilt lettuce. This delicacy is found all over the South and in the hills of Appalachia, It can be made from any sort of green that you can find, dandelion greens, mustard, creasy greens, kale, poke, collard, spinach, or lettuce of most any sort. It's a recipe that comes from being dirt poor and using what's at hand. Back then, before modern industrial agriculture, most everybody had hog meat and a little garden patch. And this recipe is one that you can eat in the bleak midwinter when the only thing in your garden plot is probably going to be hardy winter greens or better made in the early spring when the first new spring greens start to make themselves known. When teamed up with ramps in April, it'll cleanse your blood and chase the winter right out of you. My memory for this recipe personally comes from the orange, sticky, sandy clay soil of Middle Mississippi, Atala County, Mississippi to be exact. It sits in the middle of the state, and the little town my mother's people come from is called Goodman. It's west of the Big Black River off of Highway 51. The only grocery store closed sometime in 2007, and there's not much of the city left. Not so long ago, they built a dollar store. They do have a library and a police and fire hall. If you drive out on 51, about 15 miles from Goodman, passing row after row of plowed furrows broken up on occasion with a little worn-out house, you'll pass your share of tied-up dogs in the yard and people sitting on stumps in the middle of the day. Most people rent out their land to big agricultural companies to farm now. Used to be everyone farmed their own land. And this is the home place of my mother's people and my beloved grandfather, Ed May and from where this story comes. My grandfather's daddy was the central beam that held the barn up in the whole family. 
Everyone remembered him as being kind, really kind. He was the one that everyone from all around came to see if they needed a blacksmith, their hog butchered, or anything from his general store. If anyone ever needed help, he was always there. His name was Henry Lee May. His wife, Minnie Lee May, had a pet name for him, which was Hambone. I have her fancy little Rothmore jacket still. It's tiny, and it came from Kosciuszko. He built a real nice home right off the highway where the general store sat. It's still there today. He didn't know anything but hard work, farming that old sandy, loamy soil, having mercy for other people and the Lord. He died suddenly at age 42 from a heart attack. My mother said that is the only time she ever saw her daddy cry at the end of the bed that night. About 20 years ago, my mother, Edwina, pronounced Edwiner from family down there, and I took a trip to see the old home place together. We went to see the original house that Henry Lee had built. It was still sound and standing, but there's not much life there left. The dinner bell is still there next to the walk up to the porch. It's on a big post, and the pecan tree is still there. It's surrounded by acres and acres of sandy, loamy soil off of a dirt driveway. My Aunt Laverne owns all that land now, and she rents it out to big agricultural companies to farm it. Mom and I went across the highway to her cousin Billy's big, fine brick home that he's built. He's worked at the hospital in Kosciuszko all these years. He took us over to the other side of his land to a creek where his father, Lamar, had carved his initials in a tree trunk. Then we went over to his garden. It was Thanksgiving time, and the only thing in the garden was greens. Those greens grow so well in that loamy, sandy soil down there. He pulled out about three big bunches, wrapped them in newspaper, and handed them to my mom. If I remember right, they were collard greens. Mom had long since moved off and worked really hard to get as far away from dirty wooden floors, poverty, and racism of her birthplace. This was not a romantic way to grow up. The only paved road still is Highway 51. And by the sixth grade, her job was to keep the wooden slat floors of their shack clean and supper cooked. Her mother was mean to her. She came in from work and did not want to be bothered. And her daddy was always working, sometimes for months in Texas, on oil rigs to try to make money. This was 1944. Mom was born in this tiny little shack next to Highway 51, less than a mile from the home place. She both loved and hated this place all her life. Mom was extremely artistic. She became a nurse, a loving mother, and later taught art to hundreds of kids over her lifetime. She had a kindness just like her grandfather, Henry Lee May. She raised us never wanting for anything. Monogram sweaters, Adidas tennis shoes, Levi's 501 jeans. We always had good dental care, food, and health care. You can't blame her one bit for wanting to get above her raising. After our visit that afternoon, we made that 45-minute drive back to Jackson in the same car, my mother, her mother, and her father. Later, we were sitting around the kitchen table in my grandparents' new retirement condo, just talking about the day. I didn't realize it at the time, but I learned this recipe by watching my grandmother that night. She washed and washed those greens. It's really hard to get all that sand out of them. And all the while, she was cooking her bacon in a big cast-iron Dutch oven and making her cornbread. She took that crisp bacon out, drained it, and crumbled it. She left the grease in that Dutch oven and kept it hot. In a big bowl on the table, she put in the chopped greens, which she had deveined. 
She then poured hot grease on top of this and tossed it all real fast before the grease got cold. She gave it a sprinkle of salt and topped it with the crumbled bacon. That was our dinner that night. Kilt, salad, sliced, boiled eggs, and cornbread. This was a really different experience than the western sizzling where we usually went when we visited my grandparents in Mississippi. I felt like an observer eating something that I had never eaten. It tasted earthy and real, something so simple and foreign from that loamy, sandy soil of the home place. They didn't do much talking when that hit the table, not even my mom. They were all going back in time while they ate that kilt salad. It was the taste of home, and I swear they all seemed to be reflecting back on something I didn't really know about. Now at the age of 57, I think I finally understand what power there is in a taste from a faraway place. This story I read in honor of my mother, Edwina Janie Clayton, who died back in 2015. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Hope you're having a good day today. You just heard a little story that I wrote about my late mother and her growing up in the middle of Mississippi and kilt salad. I've translated this into somewhat of a recipe and listed this in the podcast notes at TennesseeFarmTable.com. This is Deborah Dean, creator of Peanut Gallery and with East Tennessee Makers Market, and you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. And now it is time for the gospel portion of our radio broadcast. We like to call this our daily bread. Here's a good one for Mother's Day. Kitty Wells and Loretta Lynn together. If I could hear my mother pray again on the Tennessee farm table. I sure hope that all the mothers out there have a wonderful Mother's Day.
Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee, for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.